there's even research that shows that, again, it's not just that parents are speaking differently to their boys and their girls, but that parents' advisors are more likely to talk to guys about the income opportunities in pursuing certain career paths than they are to women, to girls. And so for me, I mean, that wasn't even part of our conversation. I just said, I wanted to be a journalist. My parents knew I was passionate about it. They said, go for it. Never once do we talk about how little I would earn as a print journalist. So it was a, you know, it was a real reality check for me when I got my first paycheck and I qualified for food stamps, you know, but, but I think that I, I don't think I'm the exception there. I think that that as women are picking their majors in school, as women are thinking about the careers that they want, we are often thinking about what am I good at? What do I enjoy doing? You know, what can, what's a state, maybe what's a stable career. I don't really know that we are always factoring in. Okay. What is the income that I could earn and what yeah. is the income, the earnings potential over the trajectory of a career of this career path? Will it be enough to support the life that I want? Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle and welcome back to the show. So are you amassing wealth or are you living paycheck to paycheck? There's no judgment here. It's just a question about what your relationship is to your money. Are you thinking like a breadwinner? Are you thinking about closing the wage gap and really amassing wealth and securing your financial future? Well, that is exactly what we're covering in today's conversation. Joining us is Jennifer Barrett, who is the Chief Education Officer at Acorns, which is a saving and investing app with more than 9 million users. But she's also the author of the new book, Think Like a Breadwinner, a Wealth Building Manifesto for Women, which is available now in bookstores. And I'm so grateful for Jennifer to come back on the show to discuss the tactical things that we can be doing, and also the questions we need to be asking ourselves to really start beginning to think like a breadwinner. And if we haven't been, she's going to be explaining to you why that is the case. There's so many reasons, actually, and it was such a fascinating conversation. The show notes for today's interview, along with all of the amazing resources Jen gives us today, can be found at thegoodlifecoach.com forward slash 134. Now, Jen is a contributor to Forbes. She's a TEDx speaker on women, wealth, and breadwinning. She's written for publications like the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal and has co-authored two other personal finance books. She's just really such a wealth of knowledge and has launched a really important conversation and mindset shift for us. And I'm grateful to have her expertise on the show. So let's dive right in. Here we go. Hey, Jen, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so happy you're here today. Oh, I'm so happy to be back. Thanks for having me. 
Um, well, last time you came on, and I will be linking that interview in the show notes, we had a great conversation about why it's so important for women to think like a breadwinner. And you were in the process of writing this incredible book, which I um, finished last week, and I was just so blown away by. It's called Think Like a Breadwinner, a wealth-building manifesto for women who want to earn more and worry less. And thank you for this book. I think it's so important. And it's such a reminder that as far as we've come, gosh, do we have a long way to go? Yes. 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 I was, we were just talking about it before the show started that I have to remind myself <laughs> sometimes to, to think like a breadwinner. So exactly. it is it's like your, it's a muscle for us to work. <laughs> yes. And I think, you know, what's so important about your book is you really drive home why we don't. And, you know, the way that it's structured is so helpful to get the big picture of like, why are we here? And then what are the steps to actually get us on the path? And then once we're there, how do we handle actually all of the emotional guilt we might feel, uh, especially as parents? So um, I thought the best place to start, though, would be to have you define what a breadwinner is and why it's important to think like one. Sure. And I, um, I want to make the distinction because I think when I talk about the breadwinner mindset, um, <clears throat> it's a constant, right? So you could be the main earner in your relationship or not be the main earner in your relationship. Um, and you can still have a breadwinning mindset. So I want to give that caveat before I jump in, but really, um, what I talk about in the book is the fact that even though we're seeing a record number of women moving into the main breadwinner role for their households, I mean, really a paradigm shift in the breadwinning model. Um, most women are still not raised to think of themselves as breadwinners or as wealth builders. And all along, and I talk about this in the book, like throughout childhood, from a lot of the messaging we get um, through the media, we are sort of conditioned to think of our income as being less important. Often we are conditioned again, not to think of ourselves as wealth builders. Um, you know, when I started to really put the breadwinning lens on every aspect of our finances, what I found was that the message that we get so often as women is, is in direct contrast with how you would think of certain things as a breadwinner. So, and I'm happy to give some examples, but I mean, even when it comes to building wealth, you know, we're really, kind of told the prescription that we're given is like, get a career, get married or get a partner, um, you know, save for a rainy day and save a little for retirement. And that is so inadequate for the lives that so many of us uh, will have and will want to have because it really leaves out all the decades between your short-term goal and retirement and yeah. doesn't address that. And really that omission is a really big admission because omission, because it's so important that we're building wealth all along the way and thinking that way, not thinking about what can we afford on our salary or, or, you know, on our paycheck, but really thinking about how to leverage our paycheck to build wealth. And that is really the, probably the biggest distinction um, between thinking like a budgeter or thinking in the way that so many of us are brought up to think, um, where it's all about the paycheck and being able to cover our bills, mm. but instead thinking about our paycheck and the money coming in as an opportunity to start building wealth, which will truly give us independence and choice and all the things, freedom, all of the things that we want in our lives. Yeah. And I think that's important what you're talking about too, because in the book, you talk about how young girls are raised and taught to budget 
whereas boys are taught to invest. And you give an mm-hmm. example of a girl having a bar mitzvah, a bat mitzvah. I'm sorry, yeah. I want to make sure I say it correctly. Mm-hmm. But, and she's given a beautiful, expensive bracelet. And her brother is given an investment fund when he yes. has his. Yeah. And when she's older, she goes, gosh, I really would have preferred the investment fund. <laughs> right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Particularly because, you know, neither she nor her parents, who, who I know, this is actually someone who's a friend of mine, um, could have imagined that she is the one, she became a single mom. She is the one who is the breadwinner for her family. And so really could have used that. And, you know, and the, the bracelet is gathering dust somewhere in a drawer, whereas the investment account that they had opened for her brother and had taught him, you know, how to invest and he was continually investing in it. Can you imagine over time what that would have been worth and how she could have used that when she moved into, you know, the, the sole breadwinner role for, for her family? Yeah. It's interesting because in the book, there are so many great stories of people, you know, and also that you interviewed, but there's also a lot of just facts and statistics. I mean, you talk about the teenage pregnancies are going down, but the women who are having and choosing to have children on their own in their thirties is rising. So culturally we are changing, but the mindset and the way that we approach finances and money and our relationship to it is stuck in the (laughs) fifties. It really is, um, you know, a, a uh, disparity, I would say, between the reality that we're in today and culturally the way that we perceive the breadwinning model and women's role today, because, um, you know, I think we just haven't caught up culturally, frankly. So if you see surveys, you know, it's still in surveys, the majority of men and women say they prefer this conventional breadwinning model. But the fact is in more than 40% of households with kids under 18, moms are the sole or primary breadwinners. And if you look at surveys, you know, just before the pandemic, I think this may have shifted a bit during the pandemic, but surveys were indicating that um, more, almost half of working women were earning the same or more than their partner. So this is a seismic shift. And we're seeing the increases you mentioned in single moms by choice. And overall, one in four kids is being raised by a single mom. So you take all of these things together and you think, oh my gosh, we absolutely need to be planning as if we will be you know, fully responsible for ourselves for life and maybe a family too. We need to be thinking like breadwinners. But when I went back and looked at the research, as you alluded to, you know, parents are not talking this way to their girls and their boys. That research is only a few years old. And then again, there was research, uh, you know, on, on the media and the messaging we get there. And again, that messaging has not caught up. Um, so if you look at the media coverage, um, the personal finance coverage in women's magazines, and I mentioned this study where I think it was out of 1600 pages, only five even covered money topics. And then a separate study looked at money articles overall and and examine those targeting men versus women. And again, the messaging was very different. The message for men was primarily about, you know, earning more, uh, investing more, building their wealth, becoming millionaires, you know, how to make a million before you retire, those kind of headlines. And for women, it was about paying down debt, clipping coupons, you know, saving more, spending smartly, all of these things. It's just a very different message for men. It's very expansive. It's about What do you want and what do you need to do in order to get it, right? What do you need Mm -hmm. to do with your career and your money in order to get it? And for women, it's more about like, okay, this is the money you have. How can you spend it smartly? 
just a completely different mindset. And, and for men, it's so much more expansive. And really what I wanted to do with this book was to, to have women think expansively in the same way about their financial capabilities and, and the possibilities for their lives. And thank you for that, for sure. Thank you for that. Um, you know, so you talked about in the beginning of the book, you absolutely didn't have a breadwinner mindset. And this is actually what prompted you to do this research. And you write, once you start looking, you'll see those messages reinforced everywhere about what you just talked about, you know, of the men going for their dreams and investing in attaining wealth. Whereas women, it's like, oh yeah, go cut those coupons and stuff. So it's, you know, <laughs> the way you, there's that saying, you can become what you, you know, you, you what you see, you can be. Yes. And yes. what we're seeing is you wrote from the ads shows and movies, you see to the headlines you read, to the advice you get from well-meaning family and friends, whether that's parents talking to their boys about money more than girls or encouraging mm-hmm. women to invest in pretty fashionable clothes, right. Yes. Or uh, how we look versus you know, the stock market. So, um, and then you also talk about, you know, this idea of like, we're supposed to find our Prince Charming because that's what all these, well, it's changed now to some degree, but a lot of us are the generation that it was the, you know, the knight on on the white horse coming to scoop you up and rescue you. So it's what you write. It's as if we're still waiting for someone to rescue us, but you write, and we, I a hundred percent agree with this. You and only you are responsible for your future. Yes. That's ultimately what it comes down to. And yes. that's not a bad thing. I think it can be really empowering when you realize that you you can have true agency over your life. You can do this. And I think once you gain financial confidence, then it is really the sky is the limit. Um, but it's just getting over that initial hump. And the reason we feel that and the reason that hump is there is not because we're not capable, but because we have been conditioned to think differently about money than than many men have in the way that they were raised and the messages that they get. Well, with all this messaging that we're getting, and you know, you talk about a woman, I think she works at T. Rowe Price, you know, yes. she's teaching her son about investing, but not her daughter. And this was something just like a couple of years ago. So Where's the disconnect? Like why, you know, I get it. The the messaging still out there, the headlines that, you know, you've talked about in the book too, aren't supporting women feeling empowered around this, which is why your book is so important. But what's, what is going on? Like from your perspective, <laughs> what's, what's going on and how do we change this? Um, you know, I think it, it, it is changing. I will say that. Um, I, I just think that there, um, there is a lag probably there's some lag time between um, women really being in these roles and women really moving into these roles where they need to take charge of their finances, where they are um, assuming this additional responsibility for their household that maybe they weren't expecting. Um, And the preparation, you know, that parents can give to their children. I do think like with our kids, um, I think that the messaging is going to be a little bit different, but if you think about, you know, the, the, conventional breadwinner model was pervasive throughout the 20th century, right? It really, it it is pretty recent that it started to shift. And so even people, even women who are moving into the breadwinner role, like I, you know, I grew up in a household where my dad was the primary or sole breadwinner for most of my childhood. So did my husband. So when I moved into the breadwinner role, it was like, we don't have a roadmap for this. I don't have a model for this. What does this mean? Because I had always assumed I would be the main caregiver. I had always sort of assumed 
I would slow down when I had kids and then resume my career, which by the way, is another message we get, which is not entirely true. This idea that you can off ramp on ramp. And I think we're kind of blowing through that idea and, and, uh, you know, realizing that it's not as easy as it was uh, made to sound at one point. Uh, But I, I certainly think as I was growing up, I was thinking, you know, I'm very ambitious. I want to have a successful career, but when I have kids, I might slow down. I might freelance for, you know, I had that idea in my head. And I think what really shifted it was I realized when you do that and you start depending on a partner to kind of pick up the slack and take the lead on financial planning for things that are important to you too, you're really vulnerable. (laughs) And, and I was reminded of that because my husband, you know, he had been in a, a role that paid more than mine when we first met. And then he lost his job and was, you know, had gotten a new job and was like finding his financial footing again. But I think when I had my original wake up call, it was this moment of, oh my gosh, if I don't take the steps too, then these, you know, these things that are so important to me in my life could be at stake. Things like being able to afford a second child and staying in the city that we loved and, and buying a place, you know, not small things. These were really important things to me. And, you know, regardless of whether he was doing fine or not, you know, it really hit me at that point that you are vulnerable if you are depending on someone else to make sure that the things you want in the future come to be. Um, and that that was a really uncomfortable place for for me to be. And I just thought, I don't want to be in that place again. And and as I spoke to other women, I thought, you know, even if you think you'll be married for for life, you know, even if yeah. you have a wonderful partnership, it is still so important to make sure that you are making choices with your money that that leave you confident that you could take care of yourself and support the life you want, even if you know, God forbid your marriage falls apart or your partner loses his or her job, um, that that's still so important. And, and I think that's kind of where the distinction is right now. Like, I think women are very ambitious with their careers and we're talking about it. Um, and it really does feel like the sky is the limit. A lot of times, I mean, look, we've got a Kamala Harris is in the, the VP role. We had someone, you know, a woman running for president. So I do think in the sense, professionally, I think we have become much more ambitious and expansive in our thinking, but financially we have not gotten there yet. That's really the last glass ceiling that we have yet to break. I love what you're saying and creating awareness around it. I want to come back to the women who have pulled themselves out because I'm in that category. There's a lot of women who, uh, who listen to the show who I know are, or they're working and contributing to their households, but aren't thinking like a breadwinner. Um, so let's start with some tactical stuff. Um, sure. You know, you talked about, and I think it's important. So I think, you know, there's so many stories where you talked about women kind of getting forced into being the breadwinner, including your mother and grandmother. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, yes. Particularly my Nana, who is an inspiration to me. <laughs> yes. Yes. She, she was. To, yeah, please. Oh yeah, no, she, it was just at the time, and I have to remember the percentage, but I think she was 6% of households were, you know, headed by a single mom or a divorced mom, which was the category she was in. So she was really an anomaly at the time. And what had happened was she was the secretary and had stopped working when they, when she and my grandfather had my mom and my aunt, and then he was on a business trip and came back and said he'd met someone and wanted a divorce. And she was completely blindsided. Mm-hmm. And she had been out of the workforce at that point for over a decade. So, and, and at that time I will, you know, 
I think it's important to note too, there were no pensions, you know, where she, she went back to work as a secretary. There were no pensions. There was no 401k. There was no, you know, there was no workplace plan. Um, so she consciously decided, I am going to need to teach myself how to invest and how to start building wealth because I need to take care of my girls. And I don't want my girls to have to take care of me for the rest of my life. Like once they're adults, she made that conscious choice. And so she hired a broker and she used to go to his office during her lunch hours and just ask him lots of questions. And then her investment strategy, that was what I love the most, where she just decided I am going to invest in everything I spend money on. So it was like utility companies where, you know, she wrote the check each month, Coca-Cola, because my aunt loves Coke and she invested in retail store, you know, all of these things where she was either writing a check or shopping there. And, but the results funny enough, was that she had a very diversified portfolio, uh-huh. um, some dividend yielding stocks, some not, but overall, she just kept investing in those same companies and didn't touch it until she needed it. And the clincher of the story is that when she passed away, my mom and I were shocked to find out that her portfolio was worth almost half a million dollars. It's incredible on a secretary salary. And she didn't start investing until she was 46. So okay. So So I tell that story because I'm like, it's not, here's a woman who knew nothing about investing, did not have a job and suddenly was responsible, fully responsible. I mean, she had a small child support, I mean, but but not a lot um, and was able to do this. And I just keep looking at at her and say, you know, we overcomplicate investing sometimes, you know, and and she's she's kind of proof that really, if you just open an account and buy a whole range of stocks and maybe some bonds and just keep doing that and letting it grow, that can be a successful strategy. It doesn't have to be, you know, really complicated or, um, or scary or, or any of those things. Well, maybe using your grandmother as an example, or just, you know, what, what would you say are your two, just give two, maybe two tips because people can pick up the book and dive in. I mean, you go through everything, but (laughs) if women were to start thinking about flipping, making that mindset Mm -hmm. switch to being a breadwinner, you know, what are a couple of things that they could start doing today? Sure. Um, the first thing I would say is, um, you know, if you are working to make sure that you are earning as much as you can for the role that you're in and a simple gut check that I would recommend doing regularly is just checking your market value. I mean, using any of those sources, Glassdoor, salary.com, payscale.com, fairygodboss.com, and looking to see what other people who are doing what you're doing are making in your area. Even if sometimes your role has expanded and the title may be out of whack, making sure that whatever you're actually doing on a day-to-day basis, you are getting paid at the top end of that range for doing it. Yeah. Um, and then if you are not, And, you know, and you want to have a conversation with your boss, but generally speaking, before you do that, you want to be quantifying all of your successes at work and really quantifying the value that you bring to your company and to the bottom line at your company so that when you come in, you are prepared with both, look, there's a gap here between what I'm doing now, or maybe what I'm doing now because my role has expanded and what I see other people in the market are making. And here are all the ways that I'm really adding value to the company where I've gone above and beyond. I want to continue to do this. How can we close this gap you know, and, and come at it like that? So that's one is just making sure you're earning the most you can at any time in, in your role because your income is the springboard for all your wealth building efforts. You know, like the more right. you earn, the more you're able to start saving and investing. And the second part, which is related to that directly, is like using every paycheck as an opportunity to become less dependent on your next paycheck, which just means 
looking at the money coming in as an opportunity to take some of that money and start growing it immediately. So putting it into savings, putting it into investments, not just for retirement, but for all the goals you have in the decades before. And the sooner you can get into the habit of doing that, even if it's a small percentage of each check, the better. And it's not just because you will be building wealth and, and you know, it'd be great to have that wealth and have that money when you need it. But it's there is a mindset shift that happens. When you are living paycheck to paycheck, you are mm-hmm. in the mindset of how am I going to get from this check to the next? You know what I mean? How am I going to cover my That's survival? Yeah. It is, it's exactly right. It is survival mode. And I know because I have been there and it is so hard to break out of that because you really, you keep telling yourself, well, I'll start doing that when I make more money. I just have to sort of get ahead and you can get caught up in that and really get in a rut. And so I say, don't wait, just take $5, $10, $20, whatever it is and start saving it, start investing it. Because what happens when you see your money growing on the side is that a shift happens in your mind and you think I can do this. There is a way out. Mm. I, you know, and, and, and you, you want to, you know, there's a lot of behavioral science around this. When you see your money growing in a savings account or an investment account, you want to put more into it. You do not want to take money out of it. And so there is this kind of behavioral science that reinforces those good habits once you start them. So I just say, start, start today start with something, whatever it is, you know, just start today and get into those habits of taking some of every check, no matter what it is, you know, a bonus, a birthday check, whatever it is that comes in and putting that right into savings and investing. So it's, you know, growing for your future and giving you choices. Yes. I love it. And actually there's two um, suggestions that you give in the book as well. And I know they work and I believe in them. And one is a little bit for maybe some people may be like, oh, I don't know, but my audience is into this stuff, I think. Um, so there's two, and I'm, I'm just going to have you talk briefly about each. So sure. the first is visualizing. Mm, yes. So yes. what we know, whether you're into the law of attraction or not, or just the emotional attachment that you get to seeing a better future, which is what ultimately yes kept you motivated because you need to know your why so that, right. So can you talk yes. about this? Cause I love that you actually had this in the book. Yes. Um, this is so important. I don't always get into it because I know people have different feelings. About My it, audience will, will be you. into it. <laughs> I, I am um, 100% an adherent of this. I have literally seen the results of it now for over a decade. I am, you know, completely bought into the idea that you really need to sit down and to some degree create your future. Otherwise, you're a passive player and things just happen to you. And, and that's not, you know, you can't control everything. But I think the distinction is if you become clear on what you want in your life, I don't know that it necessarily suddenly materializes in front of you, but I think you can then recognize it <laughs> when it's there. Yes. And that is really the difference is that if you're not really sure where you're going or what you're looking for, you won't even recognize it when it happens. And more, more than that, when we're talking about, um, you know, from a financial standpoint, making the choices you need to make in order to support these things that you want in your future. Oh my gosh, it is just huge motivation. Um, you know, there's so much science behind it and I get into it in the chapter and that, um, if you can sit down and literally, you know, write with a pen, what it is that you want in one year, three years, five years, whatever timeline you want to pick. And what I did was literally sit down the morning after my wake-up call and write out, okay, three years from now, where do I want to be? What does the house look like? Where am I? What am I doing? Wrote out the whole day. And I described this apartment in such incredible, like 
visceral detail. Like I wanted balconies. I was imagining myself touching the, I'm looking outside right now, my balcony is right there. Like I imagined myself touching this railing. I imagined being near a park so I could run and, you know, that just sunlight flooding the apartment, which it does. (laughs) I really imagined it in so much detail because I wanted to make it visceral. I wanted my, you know, like emotionally, I wanted to be so connected with it. And there is tons of research, which I know you've talked about um, behind this. It says, if you can make this real, you are so much more motivated to go after it. And, and I think it really did help. I mean, I cut out pictures. I toured houses long before I could afford, Mm -hmm. you know, either of us were in a position to put down the down payment, but I did it because I was like, this, this is what I'm saving for. This is why I'm being so mindful with my spending and saying no to certain things because I'm saying yes to this and this matters to me. And I think that is, I mean, it's so powerful. It really is. So that's where I start. And I still do this. I do this every, probably twice a year. And I will tell you, I just checked my list from the beginning of last year. And I'm very specific now on the things that I want in that year, even when I don't know how it's going to happen. Yeah. A list Literally. or a story? How did you um, do it? This time, now I do kind of a list of like, okay. but I write it in present tense. Like yes. I am living <laughs> yes. in a house that is this and, you know, and I am in a job that allows me to do this and I am earning this much money. And because of, you know, I wrote about the book in there before it happens, um, before I'd even sold the book. But I look back at those lists and I'm like, oh my God, I so many of these things have come to pass already. Yeah. Um, and so I, I am a huge believer in it because, you know, otherwise you're sort of, I, and I don't mean this to sound totally negative, but you're sort of fumbling around, right? Like things are just sort of happening to you yeah. until you sit down and you ask yourself. And we so often do not ask ourselves, what do I want? Yeah. Like, what do I want? Yeah. Um, and it's really powerful to sit down and ask yourself that question Mm -hmm. and really get connected with it and then start thinking about, okay, what are some steps like even today or tomorrow, some small steps that I can start taking toward it. And, and that's it. Totally. Yay. I love that you shared that. Thank (laughs) you. And I was so excited when I saw it in the book, Debbie Millman was on and she talked about how she does this and, you know, teaches her class at the school of, um, Visual arts, I think. Oh, I think I'm saying it wrong. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. yes, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, she takes them through and she learned it from her mentor and it works and I've done it, it and I know that it works. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to share that for anyone who's open to trying that. And I think part of that key is the, you said you had a visceral, you know, you could feel it in your body, feeling the, the you know, mm-hmm. the balcony rails, like the yeah. more you can get in touch with the feeling state of that dream, the more you can yes. bring it. I believe in all of that, but you do have to take the action. Now, the second example that you give too is from your, I don't know if Simran was your friend or not, but she's one of my closest friends. This is one of your, oh, that's right. She was, because it's (laughs) right. I'm sorry. Because I remember she had a very sort of tragic story. She did. um, Which I'll have you tell, but what her parents kind of instilled in her is what I was brought up with. Oh, and I think it's, it's so important. And can, yeah. so can you tell her story? Cause I think people sure. remember stories and I think it'll be helpful to hear hers and God forbid this would ever happen to anybody, but it can. Yeah. Yep. It can. Um, yeah. Um, uh, and before I jump into her story, I was just thinking one other thing that is important about the visualization exercise is yes. that um, it helps you identify your values too. And then, and that's important because you want to be making your choices based on your values and not based on what 
someone down the street is doing or whatever the other external factors can be, but it also can put you in touch with, you know, it highlights the things that are really important to you in your life. So, yeah. Uh, and did you sure ever read it to your husband? Cause now I'm curious, what if mm-hmm. his vision yeah. was his vision aligned? Like what oh, if the yeah, vision? Yeah. No, no, okay. I did. <laughs> um, I don't, you know, sometimes I always share it with him even now when I, when I write these, um, but yes, certainly that morning, because it was ours. And I wanted to make sure that these things that I wanted in the timeline that I sort of had in my head were, you know, was, aligned. Was just, yes. Yeah. I was just curious. <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I felt a little bit more urgency than he probably did at that point because I didn't want to wait too long before we had our second child and all that. Uh, but yes, we got were, it. we were yes. aligned. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so my, my friend Simran, she is actually, you know, I, um, acknowledge her in the, the front of the book because she really was, um, a big inspiration, um, for me in, in writing this book. And, um, you know, I met her after this all happened. I met her, um, when she was, I think already in her, her early thirties, early to mid thirties and, and, uh, was in New York with her son. Um, but I, I found out that, um, when she was 26, um, she was married. Her son was two at the time. Her husband was bringing in about, um, 60% of the household income and, uh, he was killed in a car crash coming back from a party. And (sighs) I know, and, um, anyway, so she, so she told me about this, you know, after I'd known her for a few years, um, one night when we were out and, um, I said, Oh my God, like, how did you, I mean, how did you cope? You know, what did you do? And she said, well, there was uh, you know, there was an insurance settlement. And I said, Oh, okay. So you took some of the insurance settlement, which wasn't huge, but I said, yeah. did you took some of that and sort of, did you use some of that to kind of tie you over while you figured out your plan? And she just looked at me. I will <laughs> never forget this look. She had at her face. Like, what are you crazy? <laughs> I thought, what? And she said, no, 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 Jen, that's capital. I wasn't going to touch that. And I thought, wait, is I was like, whoa, back it up. Like who talks like that? Right. Said, right. I said, where did you even Especially get that at 26, term? At 26 yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah. And she said, well, here's the thing. She said, um, you know, I, I realized that I was going to have to learn to figure out how to live on what I was making that this, that tapping that was not going to be a permanent solution. It was not going to be a solution at all, really. So yeah. I cut way back on our expenses And she said, and when that money came in, um, she said, I took it and I invested in an apartment on the outskirts of town and I rented it out. And then I used the rent, Um, you know, so that was an income coming in and that helped subsidize my income. And then I got a better paying job and she went on and on. And I said, okay, how did you possibly have the wherewithal in the middle of this to even think of doing something like that? And so we started talking about how she was raised and she's the oldest of three children. She grew up in India. Her dad, she said, kind of talked to her as if she was the son in some ways, I think, because he really imparted all these lessons on her where he said, like, you live on the income that comes in and it matters less what you make than what you do with it. And you need to save and invest at least 20%. I mean, like, hit it home with that her. was my dad. 100%. Oh my gosh. It's so important. I was yeah. like, oh my God, I think my parents would have said that to me, but they didn't ever really vocalize that. And he just hit it home for her. Like you are, it doesn't matter. He never asked her what she made. He always asked her, how much are you saving and investing? Never asked her what she made. And he also taught her how to invest in real estate because he had done that and smart done that successfully. And so when that money came in, he said, this is capital. This is not your regular income. And so she took it and she said, well, what should I do with it? I want to, you know, make the best use of it. And so she invested it. 
And I will tell you that by the time I met her, I mean, she had, I talk about this in the book, but she had rented it out for a while and then sold it and used the proceeds from that eventually to help buy the apartment that she lived in with her son in New York and then bought a second apartment as a rent and just completely. And and if you extrapolate this forward, she was able to pay. Her son just finished college. She paid for his college tuition and she just started her own company. And I don't know that all of that would have been possible had she not taken these steps kind of early on and been thinking this way early on. And so when we had that conversation and she was telling me about the messaging she got from her dad, I thought, oh, you were raised like a breadwinner. So when you became the breadwinner, it wasn't the kind of shock that so many, you know, emotionally, obviously it was, it was terrible, but the financially she was better prepared than many of us would have been in a situation where we lose our partner or get divorced or our partner loses a job. Um, She had the skill set to immediately think, okay, how am I going to get through this? And I want to have this kind of life and I want my son to have this kind of life. What are the choices I need to make now? Yeah, it was pretty inspiring. So I was so inspired by her story and I absolutely, the saving part was for sure what resonated, you know, my my dad specifically, I mean, both my parents, but really my dad was, you know, this is how you do it. And you make sure it's not what you make, it's how much yes. you save. And yes. I have lived by that. And it's amazing to me because you write too, you know, we are like, we've normalized debt in this yes. country. Yes. I don't know how they do it in other countries. I'd actually be, that might be your next debt book. Is like that would be. No, no. Debt is shameful in India. In it India. Yeah, but it's I shameful. Just be, oh, yeah, yeah, but generally, yes. Generally, wouldn't it be interesting? So that's shameful, right? So you don't want to. So that's obviously what motivates it. But here, it's just the norm, isn't it? Yes, yes. And I should say, I don't know if it's shameful everywhere in India, but I think culturally, um, we are much more comfortable saying, "Oh, how much debt do you have?" <laughs> like we really like it. Is, we have really normalized it, and I think a large part of that is because we have a real student debt problem in this country. That is not a problem with the borrowers; it is a problem with the system that makes college so insanely expensive and so out of whack with inflation um, that it is just unattainable for so many people unless they take out these massive loans. And so I think if you come out of school and you already owe 35,000, you're like, what's another 5,000 on a credit card? Right. And that and that is such a dangerous it's such a dangerous cycle, but you wouldn't even know that because if you're coming out and you're not even at the starting line, you're at negative 35,000. You know, you just think about how that that shifts your perspective. And so you have to get over that hurdle and say, no, I am going to think about how to pay this down and I'm going to think about how to start building wealth now. That's a that's a big hurdle for for a lot of people, I think. For sure. We're not taught about it at school. No. The messaging, as you we've talked about already through the movies, like look, you know, Disney especially was they're so guilty of it. I mean, they're doing better now, but let's face it, what we grew up with ads, TV shows, the way women are represented in, you know, the TV shows we grew up with. When you think about, I think we had some different, you know, like Sex in the City, I think um, uh, Samantha was kind of an interesting and and the lawyer, you know, like there were some different uh, characters, but, you know, the main character is dependent on big in so many ways. And and even like Friends, which has had this resurgence. I remember watching Friends when I was younger and thinking, oh, wow, they can get this big apartment in New York on like she's singing in a coffee house and and doing massages and 
they can afford this play. It was just, it's completely, not realistic. it's right. not realistic. And at Carrie all. and Sex in the City's buying it's, the Manolo Blahniks. Yes, you know, how many pairs that it's on what salary? It's on the completely unrealistic. I mean, now worked at many fashion magazines. You are not making anywhere close to what you would need to buy, you know, to justify even one pair of those shoes. So yeah, I think, and those, obviously those aren't the only shows out there, but those were big culturally relevant shows in their time and the see friends come back and there are a lot of shows these days too where money really isn't it's just not even part of the conversation i think about i'm not knocking disney but i think they've come a long way but i think but i think even now what you don't ever hear about is like just money is just not even it's just not even a concern. It's just not even an issue. It's not something that comes up. Like maybe she doesn't find her prince or her prince doesn't save her, but she is still taken care of financially in some capacity. She is not working to earn her money in any of these. Like that is just not even part of the narrative. Totally. Um, And so I think it leaves us really, um, you know, uh, in a bind, you know, where we're we're unprepared for the reality of, you know, earning your own salary and and trying to live in, especially if you live in an, in an expensive city. And then the whole question is, okay, how, how am I going to do this? And do I use my credit cards and, or do I cut back and earn more? And, you know, it's, I think a lot of people have that reality check, you know, well into their twenties where they realize, oh, it is way more expensive than I realize. And how am I actually going to do this and also save and invest? And, um, and, and it's a lot you know, a lot of the times it's because we just haven't had those conversations. And there's even research that shows that, um, again, it's not just that parents are speaking differently to their boys and their girls, but that um, parents advisors are more likely to talk to guys about the income um, opportunities and pursuing certain career paths than they are to women, to girls. Um, And so for me, I mean, that wasn't even part of our conversation. I just said, I wanted to be a journalist. My parents knew I was passionate about it. They said, go for it. Never once do we talk about how little I would earn as a print journalist. So it was a, you know, it was a real reality check for me when I got my first paycheck and I qualified for food stamps, you know. Um, but but I think that I I don't think I'm the exception there. I think that that as women are picking their majors in school, as women are thinking about the careers that they want, we are often thinking about what am I good at. What do I enjoy doing? You know, what can, what's a state, maybe what's a stable career. I don't really know that we are always factoring in. Okay. What is the income that I could earn? And what is the income, the earnings potential over the trajectory of a career of this career path? Will it be enough to support the life that I want? I don't know that we're asking that question still. Yeah. And we're just not talking about money. Like you said, I remember a friend asking me and I don't know, early thirties or something like, what do you make? And she's like, I don't know why we don't talk about it. And I'm like, you're right. Why don't we talk about it? We were in different industries, but we were sharing and it was interesting. I do think it's still hard to talk about what we earn. I mean, I can actually feel it in my belly when I think about it because Oh, there's just such a a disconnect in the, we just place so much value on certain careers over others that I think there is kind of this perverse shame. There is shame in not earning very much, right? For, you know, like for example, teachers, they have this incredibly important job. They are not compensated in the way they should be. And I think if you're a teacher and you're earning, I don't know, 
$50,000 a year and your friend is working in financial services and making 150, there's maybe some, you don't want to share what you are making. Right. Yeah. But on the other side of it, I think when women are earning a lot, they don't want to share that either. <laughs> you know, there's this hesitancy because we also have all this negativity, um, you know, wrapped around the idea of, well, you know, why would you want to earn that much money? And what does that make you selfish? And, you know, that there's this, um, it's really perverse. You know, I talk about it in the book about Jessica yeah. Knowles saying, you know, I want to make a lot of money. I want to be rich and writing that essay in the times and just over a thousand comments. And many people saying like, hooray yes. for you to stand up and say, I just want to be rich. I don't need to justify it. Yeah. I don't need to tell you how I'm going to, you know, use it to, you know, for good and invest in car, whatever it give to causes. I just, you know, I, I want to earn a lot. But some of the comments were like, she's selfish and she's this. And, and, and probably so I, from other women. I mean, you talk about oh, in the sure, book, the, the board. some of these women's mother-in-laws, like calling yes. the women's mothers to say, hey, your daughter needs to stop making Working. so much. She needs to be at home with the kids. It's like she's making my son feel bad. I that mean, was an actual story. It's yes. amazing when I read that. And I thought, gosh, with all the pressure we have and women are already so hard on themselves, yeah. but it's interesting because you talked about the idea of this Prince Charming, but what they don't talk to you about is the Prince Charming that then has the affair and right. was making, you know, like with your Nana. Yeah. Right. And, and leaves. leaves and leaves. <laughs> and now it's like, okay. And the child support isn't enough or whatever yeah. the situation might not, be no. It was not in that case. So yeah. it's, you know, so the, the take home that I'm really getting on so many levels is, Hey, here's where we, we've come. Here's all the messaging. Money is power. It's complicated in some ways or whatever. But what we're really talking about is owning your financial future by taking steps to amass wealth so that you can have more freedom and choice in your life. Would you say like, this is really what it's about? And I have been thinking about this a lot. I did a clubhouse chat today and someone asked me, um, she said, you know, I hate to admit this, but my husband was earning more. And so I felt like I was able to pursue this creative. She wrote a book and she was saying, I felt like I was able to do this. I had the the luxury of doing this because he was earning enough. And she said, and I wonder how would I have done this if I was the breadwinner, you know, and, 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 and I get it. I do get that there is that friction there, but, you know, you sort of have two options here, right? We can, assume that we're going to depend on a partner to support us. And then we'll be able to do all these things that we want to do. If money was less of a, you know, um, less of a, an issue. Yeah. Or we start building wealth (laughs) from the beginning and that wealth allows us. And when I say wealth, I don't mean like millions of dollars. I mean, you are putting money aside so that you have the cushion so that you have the choice. And I go back to Simran again. I mean, she, you know, she worked at American Express for all. She was, she had a good job. She was making good money, but, but it was more than that. I think she, she knew she always wanted to start her own company. It just, you may have to wait a little bit longer, but she took the steps she needed to, to start putting the kind of money aside and to Airbnb, the bedroom in her home, all of these things so that she had the money to start this company that she wanted to start. And, and so I think it doesn't have to be a situation where you're like, yeah, but if I don't have a partner who's earning more, I may not have the opportunity to do these things. And I do, I do realize that that is, that is very real for a lot of people. Um, you know, it can be, you can do this for yourself. Yeah. You know, you, if you are becoming less dependent on your paychecks, if you are building wealth, 
then that does give you the freedom to do these things. It may be a little bit later, you know? Um, And then also with a partner, it can go both ways. You know, you can be earning more and, you know, your, your partner and allowing your partner to take risks in his or her career or to start a business or to do these things. And you do the heavy lifting for, uh, you know, for a while Mm -hmm. on the financial side. And then maybe later your partner says, okay, I know that you have this dream to do X, Y, Z. Let me do the heavy lifting for a little while so you can pursue this too. Um, But I think where we get tripped up is where we think, okay, you know, unless my husband's the breadwinner or that my partner's the breadwinner, I'm not going to have the opportunity to do these things. No, it's an open dialogue and this is a, it's dynamic. And so it really is about sitting down together and saying, what is it that you want to do in your life? And then talking about what you want to do in your life and how can we support each other and doing it, you know? Yeah. And you could even be single. Like I'm thinking, (laughs) right. Like I'm thinking one of the women I interviewed came out during the interview. She's like, I'm going to, I'm almost 40 and I'm going to be having a child on my own. She wanted to fulfill that dream. And so, yeah, you, you can't be living. I mean, once you have, you know, more responsibilities and honestly with wealth, it's really, it seems like the name of the game is going to be to afford good healthcare. And I mean, the way things are changing in this country, like there's so many dynamics. It may not just even just be that dream apartment or home as much as it's just going to be to know that God forbid something happen. you're not going to go into debt over it or be at the risk of losing your home. So I I do want to address what we talked about in the beginning where people pull themselves out because I had success so early on um, in my career. And so I was like, I can recreate success. I know Mm -hmm. how, and I felt comfortable in a big savings and the whole thing. Um, But I know a lot of the women who listen, you know, some are either working, but not thinking like a breadwinner, right? They're not Mm -hmm. putting it aside or they're like me and they pull themselves out and they're re-engaging. This is sort of the essence of the show. It's like, what's in your heart? What do you want to do with your one precious life? And how do you make that happen? But confidence really can take a hit. That's the common thing I'm hearing. I just don't have the confidence. How do I get back out there? I mean, even Mm -hmm. your stats in the book are not encouraging. I mean, it's just reality. I mean, that's, I know. And so this is, this is maybe part of the myth that we bought into, or Mm -hmm. it's just a choice. Like I wanted to be home with my kid. And so I've Mm -hmm. been slowly trying to build back up into whatever that is, but what advice would you give to somebody who's older now and, and relaunching, whether they're going back to work or their own thing and trying to find their way in terms of how to think, like how to use this mindset to benefit themselves. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. And I, I was thinking about this because I think, um, you know, when people say to me, I had the luxury of, of a partner earning more so that I could do these things. I think, yeah, but what if you didn't, what if you didn't, how would you still do those things that you are so passionate about? So I, I actually, I do think about that a lot because then it's not just about having a successful career or whatever, you know, or like making right. a decent amount of money to support the life you want. Now it is really thinking about I'm going to have to work a little extra hard or I'm going to have to, you know, put a little extra aside in order to enable me to, to do these things. Um, I I don't judge anyone's choices, particularly around, you know, children and and stepping out to, to be with them. Um, The only thing I would say is um, make sure it's an informed choice because I I have talked to a lot of women. I mean, there's one conversation that sticks in my head that I had with a woman who had been, she's an, fantastic photographer and had been a photo editor and, uh, left, you know, stopped working when she had her son. And then, um, 
and then got divorced and was trying to get back in. And in the period between which she'd left and was trying to get back in, of course, the digital revolution happened and she felt like she was completely out of touch with what was happening and unemployable. And it was, you know, it was incredibly hard for her. And I remember her saying to me, if I had known I was committing career suicide, when I took this time off, I never would have done this. It is so hard. And, and that, that stays with me. And I, I think it's not to say that she couldn't have stepped back to be with her son, but I think, um, it was this assumption that's, and it's an assumption that has really, we have gotten a lot of messages around this. Like even the language that we use, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to step back. I'm just going to lean out for a little bit. I'm going to off ramp. Then I'll, I'll on ramp or I'll lean back in at some point as if it's that easy, you know, as if it's that easy, just lean back in and everything, you know, everything will be fine. Yeah. Um, the reality is it's, it's not. And yeah. so if you are going to, you know, make the choice to step back, um, do it in a way that you still have an on ramp, you know, um, you know, and that can mean you're still working part time or you're you know, whatever it is, you're freelancing, you're working on contract, or you're just staying current on what's happening in your industry and you're maintaining your network and you're still talking to people. Um, I think the worst, what I've seen, the worst happens when you just completely disconnect. And it's so easy to do that when you have kids because they are all absorbing and our whole idea of what, you know, intensive mothering only, you know, reinforces that. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of pop up again and you're like, Whoa, what happened? Where did the time go? And what happened with totally. my industry while I was out? Totally. Um, but the way to, the way to counter that is really to stay connected in some capacity and then also plan ahead. Because I say, you know, if you were, and you know, this, like if you, when you, you saved, you invested, you had that money. So you had options, right? So when you talk about the average caregiver, she is 49 years old, she's working a full-time job, and she is caregiving for an additional 20 plus hours a week. So think, and, and I think what happens a lot of times is we have never prepared for that possibility. And so when it happens, we are not financially in a position to pull back at all on our career. So we're trying to do all of that. I have a friend who's in that situation right now. It is exhausting. She is exhausted. She has two kids and she's caring for her mom. And I think- if we prepare for these things ahead of time, like the more we can prepare where we're thinking, okay, am I going to have enough money aside where even I could talk to, you know, talk to my boss and say, can I go down to four days a week? Or, you know, so you have that leeway so that you are not so dependent on each paycheck that you, you have no leeway, you have no flexibility, because even if you don't want to step back a little bit to take, to care for kids or care for a loved one, it's nice to be in a position where you could do that and you would be okay financially. So, I mean, that's a big part of it is just planning ahead. And the other piece of it is staying connected, just if you're going to pull back or step out of your career, I wish there was better language for that. If you're actually like going to stop working, yeah. you really need to be connected with people because, you know, as, as you alluded to, it is not that easy to get back in. And there is so much, you know, so much data out there that shows when we do, we often take a pay cut. It is just harder to kind of get our momentum going again in your career. Yeah. So you really do, you take a much bigger hit than it might seem when you take time out because it's not just your income you're missing. You're not, you know, it's the money you would have put into your retirement account or your other investment accounts or your right. savings. It's the promotion you missed out on, the raise you missed out or the bonus you missed out on. And all of that can add up to, you know, literally like hundreds of thousands of dollars over time. And so it's important when you're, when you're making these calculations to not think, oh, well, childcare is so expensive. 
you know, I might as well not work because there's a lot more to that equation yeah. than, than that. Um, you know, and again, I don't judge. I, I think, you know, if you really want to stay home with your kids, you know, I, I, that is, that is an individual choice to make. Just let it be a really well-informed one so that you're not surprised on the other end. Totally. I think, I think that's, I think that's right. For sure. That's right. Um, you talk about community and surrounding yourself with women who are aligned with your values, your ambition, whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, a lot of women, especially now with what we've been through, although I think things will go back, um, feel disconnected from tribe. Oh yeah. They feel yeah. so disconnected and we all need that. I Just know. suggestions on how it sounds like you do have that in your life. Any, I do. any suggestions that, yeah. on cultivating that? Yeah. And I, I think um, that was very conscious on my part. Um, I had joined a networking group that was an online group, um, you know, a few years ago. And, um, and I kind of lurked for a little while and hadn't really felt connected to them. But then I started to post and I started to feel connected and I went to a few physical events and met people. Um, and then that community really became more of a community for mm. me. And, um, and I started to really realize, I think it was that community in particular and um, a woman, Susan McPherson, who is now not surprisingly written a book about the art of connection oh, <laughs> because funny. she is yep. the ultimate okay. connector. She was the one who I mentioned in the book who really changed the way I thought about networking. Um, she was the first person to raise her hand to be interviewed. I didn't even know her. Um, um, I was on the phone with her for an hour. And afterwards she said, I am, you know, this is clearly something you are so inspired by and driven. And, and I think it's such a good thing you're doing. How can I support your work? Mm. And I was like, no one has ever asked me that before. Like, how can I help? Yeah. Um, and she connected me with other people. And, and I thought, wow, that's so nice. She must've really, really liked the idea for the book, but no, this is who she is. <laughs> I realized over the coming months yeah. and years since I've known her. Um, and it's not just who she is. I just saw that replicated over and over and over again, where women were just saying, how can I help? How can I support you? Yeah. And so I started to do the same when I met people, you know, I, I tried to, to, to do the same when I meet them, like, how can I support your work? How can I support you? And what I found was like, oh my gosh, women are so supportive <laughs> in so many ways. It's incredible. And over the pandemic, I don't know what I would have done if I didn't have these groups that I'm involved in. And so many of them are online, but they were just such a source of community for me and yeah. support. And whether or not I was participating in, you know, the, the posts or not just knowing they were there yeah. and, and responsive and the kind of conversations were so candid. And if you look at, there's so many groups, I mean, there's um, dreamers and doers, there's Albright, there's Hey Mama, there's Chief, there's, um, you know, I mean, I could go on and on. I think this is in the last few years, we have just seen this huge expansion of yeah. women's networking groups and, and women redefining what networking means because yeah. it's it's not just a how do I meet someone who's going to help me with the next role no it's so much more than that it's it's such a deeper connection yeah um so it's yes, not a masculine approach to it no, it's, it's now the so feminine approach yes. yes and I actually think you know I became convinced still am that that this is actually how we close these gaps this is how we rise because yeah. we have to do this together we have to support each other we have to pull other women up when we you know when we get toward the top you know, and be yeah. constantly thinking about that. Um, and I, you know, I see it in play now and it's, it's so inspiring and so encouraging and gives me so much hope for the future. And I only think that, you know, these groups are going to continue to proliferate. So I would yeah. say 
you know, if you have access and so many of them are digital. I mean, all, you know, yes, thinking all bright is completely digital. So is dreamers and doers. So many of them luminary. I mean, you can get a digital membership to so many of these groups and then just join in, you know, join into the activities and be a part of it. And you will definitely meet other, you know, other women who Aligned. have similar interests. Yes. Yeah. Yes, and make I'm those hopeful too. I love that. I'll <laughs> link those in the show notes. Cause I think yeah. people don't know where to even go. Um, so I think that's super helpful. Now we've covered a lot, any sort of words of wisdom, any last messaging you want to leave the women with today before we sign off? Oh, I feel like we, we covered a lot today. Yeah, Yeah, we? we did. We did. We did. Um, no, I would just say, you know, um, don't forget to ask yourself what you want, you know, what you want today, what you want tomorrow, what you want in your life. And, um, think about one step you can take today um, to bring you closer to that. Perfect. Perfect. Cause that's really what it's about. It's that mm-hmm. one step. Um, Jen, where can people learn more about you? Do you have a website or, and where we can find the book? I do. It's uh, jenniferbarrett.com and you can find the book uh, really anywhere books are sold, which is great. Yeah. <laughs> so. I saw it on Amazon right next to Warren Buffett's book. So bravo. Good that job. Makes me happy. <laughs> Thank you so Good much company. for this really, yes, for sure. Um, loved this conversation. So grateful for your time. And thank you so much for writing this book. Oh, thank you. Really timely. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.